Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. Let's have a look at this then. As promised, as we're going through the books of the New Testament in the order in which they were written, nearing the end here in 1 John chapter 2, we will start at verse 18 today with a subject that has consumed so many, and that is the Antichrist. What is the Antichrist? Who is the Antichrist? Well, the answer may surprise you. And let's have a look. 1 John chapter 2, starting at verse 18. Dear children, This is the last hour, and as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. Hold the horses. In all of the apocalyptic sermons and books I've seen on the end of time, they always capitalize Antichrist, and there's one of them. John, however, is writing here maybe around 80 to 90 AD, uh, and he says already many of them have come. So, we know we're going to have to readjust our concept. This is how we know it's the last hour. What's the last hour? This confuses a lot of folk. And and I can see why. Remember that the Bible was not written to us, but it was written for us. So each book, each section, we have to realize, we have to figure out who is it written by? Where are they? What is their culture? Who is it written to? Where are they? What is their culture? How did they use words, concepts? How are they drawing on other words and concepts? So yeah, it it can take a wee bit of work, yes. But the last hour, it is the last hour when it comes to religious peace for Christians. Think of the Olivet Discourse, as it's called in Matthew 24. People get very mixed up on here because they don't realize that two questions were asked and two questions were answered. The apostles were walking by the temple and Jesus, you know, they were saying, hey, hey, have you noticed this, Jesus? This is quite the temple, isn't it? Because it had been under construction for decades and they were quite proud of where it was. And Jesus said, you you see all this? There'll come a time where there won't be one of these stones on top of the other. That just blew their minds. It blew their circuits because the temple was the central thing for God, the, the worship of God, forever. And here it was being restored and rehabbed, even by the awful Herod family, but still it was being done. And Jesus was just kind of raining on a party, saying, now this will, this will be gone. And they, they were very confused. And they asked him, well, when will this be? And what will be the signs of the end of the world? Now, Kind of like R.E.M.'s song, The End of the World as We Know It, sometimes you have to ask the end of what, what do you mean by world, which seems a silly question, but it doesn't. For example, Paul talked about that Christ had been preached to the whole world, and we know that meant his world, because it certainly hadn't made it to China, hadn't made it to Australia. Well, what does it mean, the end of the world? Well, he does, Jesus does treat it as the end of all things. But the very first part, he talks about the end of Jerusalem and the end 
of the Jewish system. Now, we are, we love our Jewish brothers and sisters, and all of them are our brothers and sisters. And we know that God has given us a tremendous gift through the Jews. So wonderful. But there is a fact about being a Jew today, religiously. Whether you're Orthodox, Conservative, Reformed, there are several different versions of, of Judaism. Um, you are not following, following Deuteron the, um, the book of Deuteronomy. You're not following Levitical law because you can't. When the destruction of Jerusalem came, which is what Jesus talks about in that first half of Matthew 24, he is talking about the fall of Judaism because the records are gone. Not a Jew alive today can tell you that they are a Levite because the records of tribes have gone. Now they've kept as many records as they could and far more than most people, but there are some things lost to them. They can't go to the temple and do a sacrifice of a bull or a goat or a calf or whatever. They can't, they can't do the blood offerings. They can't go into the mikvah and be baptized and ritually cleansed. They can't do any of that. Well, they can't mess with the Ark of the Covenant. I, there, there's none of that which is available to them and has not been for 2,000 years. And to the Jews, that was the end of all things. That hour. And an hour doesn't mean 60 minutes. I hope you understand. It's an era. It's a time that's coming. Well, by the time John wrote 1 John, Jerusalem had already fallen. And the effects of that fall were still rolling like a tsunami across Judaism that had already uh, been scattered. Di diaspora is the word historians use. Already been scattered across what we would call Europe, uh, the Middle East, and Northern Africa, and even down into the Horn of Africa. I don't know that it had made it to the Horn yet, but it was headed that, that direction. So all of this was the end of their world but more was coming, as Paul has already pointed out, and we've read about that, and Peter was already talking about. The Roman emperors were not stopping with the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. They were moving forward to persecute Jews, but also to persecute Christians. As soon as they found out they were two different groups, they were going after them as two different groups. And it is not a pretty time in history, but Christians often pointed their fingers at the Jews and said, they're the problems, Romans, and the Jews returned the favor. Uh, it, <coughs> it began an unnecessary divorce that left only carnage and bloodshed for centuries, millennia, really, in its wake. So the last bit of the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, he talks about the signs of the end of the world, and he says, of that day, no one knows, not even the Son, only the Father. And there won't be any signs. People will be in the fields, they'll be at home. People will be over there, there'll be this. It's just, there aren't signs for that, but just be ready at all times for it. Well, all my life I've had people yell that they could see the signs, and they knew, even when Jesus said he didn't know. And it's, um, which is fascinating. Uh, <laughs> there's a rabbit hole I wanna run down, but I'm gonna stick, stick with this but they also yell that they know that the Antichrist is coming. And like I said last week, they, in any modern political figure, they jump on it and they'll say that's the Antichrist or any new development. Right now, for example, they can't write the books fast enough because they're convinced that artificial intelligence 
like you know chat gpt and and all these others are the antichrist because it's that one world order it's that uh, this whole you know it's conspiracy it's fear it's paranoia but the thing about all that conspiracy fear and paranoia is that it makes you special you know because if you believe that unicorns built the pyramids and you have this extra special knowledge that you've been able to see what the historians have never seen well then of course you're the special person and you're the smart person and you've got this and you can you can look down your nose at people and that's the way it is sadly often with religion people will grab something they will superimpose their belief systems on something and then declare that they have the secret or special knowledge well john's saying that by that time many antichrist had already come when he was correct we'll see how he defines it all right look at uh, verse 19 they went out from us but they did not really belong to us. For if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. John likes to repeat and fold things back in on itself. We've talked about that before. He's talking about people who knew Christ and then have walked away from Christ. And he's saying, had they really known, they wouldn't have walked away. Now there are some who try to take this in a hyper literal, um, sense by seeing if they you know once saved always saved and if they leave us it just meant they weren't saved this is a form of circular reasoning that we don't really need and it doesn't really help us here John is saying if you really saw Jesus you would never walk away from him they weren't really with us because if they'd been with us they would have experienced this walking in the light and they they wouldn't want to leave it and I think that's generally true. But you do have people that have been so hurt, uh, some by churches, but I don't, that's not the main thing here, have been hurt. Their, their child died. The, their loved one died. The, a war came and stole their sons and daughters. A famine came. A job was lost. A house then was lost. A family was broken. And they don't see and feel Jesus anymore and they go cold because the hottest coal in the fireplace will go cold when it's removed from the fire. And this is not a judgment. We're just talking a fact here. My heart's gone cold a few times in its life and I've had to be helped back into the community and I get it. Our safe harbor is trying to bring that community to you wherever you are. These people, however, that had gone out when John was talking, had not just gone out, but had then decided to develop a new structure, a new religion, a new concept, or just become anti-Christian, anti-Christ. I've heard a lot of comedians that are anti-Christ. I've heard a lot of politicians that were anti-Christ because what they espouse and what they pushed was either an attack on Christianity or a bizarre perversion of Christianity. For example, I'm very pro-life and the um, you know, Planned Parenthood now puts out Christmas cards with Mother Mary on it, celebrating abortion. That would be antichrist. You are taking the Christ story and perverting it for an evil end. People do that. People do that, uh, the, the Westboro Baptist Church, which we've not heard from 
in quite some time because they got so bitter and angry they disfellowshipped each other. It happens. But they were misusing the name of Jesus and the gospel of Christ to spread hate and hurt everywhere they went. Let's pay attention. Verse 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. All of you know the truth. I do not write, by the way, he wrote this more than 200 years before the Bible books were collected, the New Testament books were collected. They had the old. So it isn't, the truth does not equal the Bible. The truth equals Jesus. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. So does the Bible help lead us to the truth? Absolutely. Jesus is the truth. These people who had never, most of them, never read the Gospels, never read um, much from Luke, uh, like Acts, or much of Paul's letters even, they hadn't yet reached all the corners. He said, you already have the anointing, you have the truth, because you have Jesus. Our Monday morning message, um, if you go back and look at it, for June 4th, deals with the concept of simplicity and why did it get so complicated. You might, it's, um, I think it's 13 minutes long, so it might be worth your while. I do not write to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? Here we go. It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. And whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So who and what are the Antichrist? Those who deny that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God who came in the flesh. They are Antichrist. It doesn't mean that they're gonna lead big armies against Christianity. It doesn't mean anything that the overdramatic conspiracy into the world type people push. This is, the Antichrist means somebody who denies the Christ. They are opposed to Christ. See what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and the Father, and this is what he promised us, even eternal life. What you've heard from the beginning, what was that? That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, love God, love each other, share what you have with each other. That's what he told us. That, those are the criteria that'll be used on the day of judgment, Matthew 25. Don't, take, don't allow anybody to take your simplicity away from you in Galatians chapter five. We have to keep these things in mind because the world wants to make everything far more complicated than it really is. We, um, we, we overeat and we tell the world to adjust to us when you know, all the diets in the world really come down to this. Eat a healthy diet, move. Move around and eat healthy. That, now, is that easy to do? No, no, it isn't. And some people are cursed because they have medicines that pack on the pounds. And they are uh, put in a, in a chair where they cannot get out of and do all the moving. And therefore, I'm not going after people who are obese at all. I, I get that, I really do. But the answer to it we're always looking for a special drug or surgery. 
The answer is, generally speaking, eat less, move more. We don't like that. We're, we're like Naaman when told to dip in the Jordan seven times. We're going, come on, give me something more complicated. That's too simple. With the Antichrist, it's just that simple. They are anti-Jesus, either by attacking him or by creating a perversion of him, like Serenthus was. This, whole, this idea that Jesus was just a great guy and God descended on him uh, to give a special teaching and then God left before the cross. There's a form of that called docetism. Not that you, most of you want to know about that. Anyway, verse 26, I am writing you these things about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it is taught you, remain in him. What? When do you receive anointing? Well, it's when you come to Christ in faith and you've been baptized. And if you've not been baptized, by the way, send us a note, info at rsafeharbor.com. We'll talk to you about it. And if you want to be baptized, we, we will make sure that happens. Uh, as the best we can. We're going to find a way to make it work. You've been anointed by God. Now we go out as mobile temples and we share the gospel with others. We share love with others. We let them see the love of Christ in us. So he says, you don't need anyone to teach you, but the anointing teaches you. Yeah, I learn a lot by the command to love. Whenever I enter a store, whenever I'm in my car, whenever I'm talking to my wife, whenever I'm hanging around people, I'm in an airport. These are all opportunities to show love. And by showing love, I am learning. Learning how to show love, learning how to show it better, learning to love people that I would have walked by earlier. I'm constantly learning that anointing is teaching us. So John's saying, I don't have to teach you. Follow your anointing, that will teach you. How simple is that? How brave is that? Because a lot of churches go, no, 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 no. Here are the 53 things you must believe and here are the 82 things you must do to be acceptable to God. John's not doing any of it. Here's the last surviving apostle. And if any of the others are left holes to plug, he would have done it, but he's just going, just trust your anointing. Go out and live like Jesus. Be like Jesus. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. I always had a question when I was a kid, but you couldn't ask it. And that was why some people who don't believe in God do nice things. And some of them are nicer than the people who say they believe in God. And of course, in a way that's a slander because you don't want to be painting anybody with you know, big broad brushes here. But I think most of us can understand that. We'll see people who are atheists who are, are kind. Um, I think of the magicians, uh, Penn and Teller. And you know, Penn Gillette is, is very much an atheist and does not want a Christian in his home because he doesn't want them around his children. And yet, from all accounts, if you know him personally, 
He is incredibly kind and gracious to people, privately and in public. So how does he do that? Well, he doesn't know it, but he was born of God. And God can also shine through him. And I truly believe that God knows his heart and will take care of him. We should encourage the good and not compete with it. In our area here in Middle Tennessee, especially in Williamson County, which lies just to the south of Davidson County, which is Nashville, we have a, a, an amazing charity called GraceWorks. Now, GraceWorks was formed so that all the different churches and all the different people who wanted to do good weren't running around competing with each other, that we could put it all into one place and they have served honorably and well. They make sure the dollars are used really, really carefully. And the amount of people that they feed and lead and teach and help is just astounding. It absolutely is. But it started with us not competing with each other. With uh, One Generation Away that feeds people here, it saw other feeding programs, but it decided to do something that was above and beyond. And we were all looking at that going, you know, why would we have a closet in a church building, we don't even have a church building, where we put canned goods to give to the poor, when instead we can take them over here and they can get fresh produce, real food, food that you will buy if you go to the store and they can get it there. Let's put our money into that because they're buying power. They can buy cereal that would cost me $6 they can buy it for 50 cents and it's fresh. It has the same expiration date, same brand. Let's do that. With Christianity, why are we competing with each other with programs, buildings, missions? When if we, if we just channeled it together, what could we do? It's kind of like a snowflake. I know snowflakes become an insult to some people, but let's, let's grow a brain, shall we? Um, it is still a very valid concept. Snowflakes are incredibly fragile. If you try to grab one and look at it, you're not gonna see it, it'll melt. You know, if you're not wearing mittens, special snow catching equipment. But if you put enough snowflakes together, they'll stop a bulldozer. We need to be gathering together and being stronger. That's part of the welcome home tour. So I can go out to the different places and find you and encourage you and help you start building things right where you are because your anointing is there. Let's just help each other love one another, not compete against others, but just be Christians at loosed, loosed among, among the world. What an amazing thing. All right, chapter three starts with a very, very well-beloved verse. <clears throat> How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. That is, that's amazing right there, isn't it? That we should be called the children of God. When, I'm, when this is being recorded, I'm heading out the next day to do a wedding. By the time you watch this, that'll have occurred a month ago. I, um, I love doing weddings. I really do. And one of the, I actually complain about it because it takes so much time. It really does. People make things so complicated. 
and generally <coughs> you have to travel, you know the score. And people spend way too much money. People back it down. It's not a competition. You don't want to start your married life broke and you don't want to break your parents. Bring it down. Simplicity is a gift. That's it. You look over it, you can see the, the joy because I get to be with this person. I still have that. I still have that 44 years later. This, you know, wow, I get to be married to Miss Cammy. I, I find that to be a remarkable thing. But it amazes me even more that God, knowing me, loves me and is proud to call me his son. And knowing you loves you and calls you his son or daughter. Now that's, that's, that's better than anything you're gonna get for Christmas. This is amazing. Let it encourage you. He goes on. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And again, John says this in a complicated way, but that's just John. And it's one of the beauties actually of John. There's a rhythm and almost a melody in the way he writes. We are now children. What will we be when he appears? Well, we don't know, John says. What, whatever substance will be made of, how that will look like or feel, but we're going to be like him. And because we're gonna be like him, well, let's get ready. I do know that before weddings, people you know, will select certain clothes to look better. They'll get, the ladies will go often and, and have a, a spa day or on the day of the wedding, have an expert do their makeup. Uh, they want they want that to be ready for the day. You know, maybe maybe with the bride or the groom, we'll even try to lose a few pounds before the day. It's it's all sweetness. It's all fun. It's all wonderful. They're trying to present themselves the best they can to the gift who is presenting themselves to them. That's what we're doing. We're trying to purify ourselves here to be ready when Jesus comes, just to go to work with him. Let's go. Let's do this, Jesus. We'll be made of the same stuff. It says, whenever we see him. So we purify ourselves. How do you do that? Well, here's the deal. There is no pill that is impurity be gone pill. Sometimes people will say they're going on a cleansing diet. And I understand the concept, but the, the concept of we're clearing out toxins is not a scientific one. And there are about a hundred different ways that people say this is the one that works but making any adjustment in your diet and exercise and food has an effect. So I don't scream, you know, witch or, or unscientific and point my finger. I just nod and let, it, let them do what they're gonna do. But there's no pill that we can take to get rid of all of our impurity spiritually. So we have to do it one step at a time. Um, if, you, if you have any accomplishment at all, how did you become a doctor? Well, I started in kindergarten paying attention to colors, numbers, and where to put my shoes when I walked in the room. You, you, everything is step, 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 step. I've had people come to me 
after they, uh, I would do a, a psychological talk somewhere um, because they used to be a shrink. And they come up and go, I really want to do what you do. And I'm going, okay. And basically they want to do it next month. And I'm going, um, the, it doesn't work like that. There are a bunch of degrees, courses, studies. You got to go through a bunch of being supervised, sometimes by people who don't like you. And you're going to have to find your way through that. You're going to have to, you know, you're starting on a 10 year journey here. And they go, oh, no, I'm not going to do that. Okay. But here's the thing. If you don't start the journey, you never finish it. So you just do this, do the journey. I have a friend who's been getting in shape, something I've never really been all that concerned about. You can probably tell. Um, but they go to the gym and they're really working on it. And I really, I admire them. I admire everybody trying to make their body stronger or better. And they sometimes get really disappointed because for the last three weeks, there's been no movement forward, whether that was pounds lost, muscles gained, weight you can lift, whatever, whatever metric you're using. And my response to them is always, life is full of plateaus and dips. You just keep going, doing what you do to get some progress and things will sort out and you'll see the progress again, but you don't stop. With purification, it's the same thing. Just try a little bit more a little bit more, that's all. We're not trying to shame anybody here. We just take baby steps, but always in a good direction. Well, here we go. He's gonna say a couple more things and then we'll, we'll shut this class down. Just a few more verses. Verse four of chapter three. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so he may take away our sins and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Now this terrifies a lot of people. And so I wanted to make sure that we cleared this one up before we said goodbye here. And we'll do it really quick, all right? He is not talking here about you, most likely. He's not talking about somebody who, like me, sins every day. He's talking about people who live in rebellion who say, I don't care, or me, 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 me. These are people who've stepped away from trying to walk with Jesus because it was too uncomfortable, it didn't work real well for them, whatever. We're talking about people who have chosen a life of sin, not a people of Christ who occasionally sin. It's very different. And he will show that as we go through. But I wanted to make sure you got that and we'll bring that back around next week. Have a fantastic week. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving to us. It allows us to keep doing this. God bless you. Cheers.